the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. You will never know what it is to stand alone unless you have spent time with God on a regular basis, being alone with Him in His Word, in prayer. This is the foundation for godly living. This is where it's at. It is amazing how few Christians spend time in the Word of God. It is amazing. I was reading, and I think I have these facts correct, that a poll was taken, the average pastor spends seven minutes a day in prayer. I think I have that right. Now, if the average pastor spends seven minutes a day in prayer, what must the average parishioner spend in prayer? Folks, if you want to be godly, it takes a little discipline. It doesn't just happen. Our men on Friday mornings and Wednesday nights are studying a great book, Disciplines in the Christian Life. And several years ago, we studied Disciplines of a Godly Man. And the message is over and over and over again, is that in the power of the Spirit of God, you must be disciplined. where we feature the teaching of Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We are studying Noah and the flood in Genesis chapter 6. Pastor Steve so far has been highlighting Noah's spiritual life and why he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah had a godly heritage, righteous behavior, and was blameless in his generation. Today, Pastor Steve is going to introduce a fourth spiritual quality in the life of Noah, and we would do well to listen carefully and then ask ourselves if we have these characteristics in our lives. We live in an increasingly evil world, and we would do well to emulate the life of Noah. Now, with that in mind, here is our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff. What have we seen about Noah? First of all, he had a godly heritage. Secondly, righteous behavior. Third, he was blameless in his generation. The fourth spiritual quality is found in verse 9, is that Noah walked with God. I mean, that's a tremendous statement. Reminds us of his ancestor, Enoch, who walked with God. Noah just says, walked with God. What does this mean? This means that Noah had fellowship with the Lord through prayer. And you can't say the reading of the word, but through and however God communicated to him. Could have been directly, it could have been through dreams, it could have been through visions. He didn't have the written word. But Noah's life and behavior were distinct from those around him because his fellowship was with God. Let me just tell you a great principle here. You will never stand alone before people unless you stand alone before God. You will never know what it is to stand alone unless you have spent time with God on a regular basis, being alone with him in his word, in prayer. This is the foundation for godly living. This is where it's at. 
It is amazing how few Christians spend time in the Word of God. It is amazing. I was reading, and I think I have these facts correct, that a poll was taken, the average pastor spends seven minutes a day in prayer. I think I have that right. Now, if the average pastor spends seven minutes a day in prayer, what must the average parishioner spend in prayer? Folks, if you want to be godly, it takes a little discipline. It doesn't just happen. Our men on Friday mornings and Wednesday nights are studying a great book, Disciplines in the Christian Life, and several years ago we studied Disciplines of a Godly Man, and the message is over and over and over again is that in the power of the Spirit of God, you must be disciplined. You must be disciplined. You must cultivate the discipline of communing with God, otherwise you will never find the time to do it or you'll be so sporadic. Spirituality doesn't just happen. It doesn't float down from heaven. It doesn't happen by osmosis. It doesn't happen unless you discipline yourselves. Our men know this, but let me show everybody this, the men in that study. First Timothy chapter 4. You ought to memorize this. You ought to meditate on this. It ought to be a life's verse to many of us. First Timothy chapter 4, the end of verse 7 says this. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. I want you to see that. That's why I want you to turn to it. I could have just spouted it out like that, but I want you to visualize it and see it. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Unless you discipline yourself, you will not be godly. You will not be godly. And that means walking with God through prayer and the word. How much time, honestly, do you spend in the word and prayer? How much Bible intake do you really take in? How much do you have? If you're thinking that Sunday morning is it, you're in bad shape because you're only getting one meal a week. That's it. You're famished the rest of the time. And I'm spoon-feeding you. you got to be taking that in yourself. How much time do you spend in prayer? How much time do you spend really talking to the Lord? How much time do you spend in meditating on God's Word? How much time do you spend in really taking it in, not only reading it, but studying the Bible? And, you know, you have opportunities here to be involved in studies. I think one of the great things that we have is our ladies' Thursday morning Bible study because not only do they get a message from one of the ladies, but during the week they're studying the Bible themselves. That's where it's at. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. If you want to stand alone before people, you got to stand alone with God. Now, after telling us about Noah and these godly character qualities of verse 9, Moses briefly mentions the sons of Noah in verse 10. And Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. He doesn't speak about them now. We'll learn more about them later. Are they important? Yeah, everyone in this room, each person in this room is descended from one of them. They're our grandpappies. One of these three guys. They are rather important, and we'll deal with them at a later date. So Noah and his sons are presented to us in this passage, with Noah being the exception as... uh, Corrupt earth. The earth is corrupt. Noah's an exception, and his sons are lumped together with him. They're going to be preserved. We read in this, verses 11 and 12. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence, and God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. And so there's a contrast here. Noah, and then his three sons, and then the earth. And I don't think we need to say anything more about this at this point, because we've spoken already about it in previous verses. But because the earth was so corrupt and because it was so violent, God's plan was to destroy it and to preserve Noah. And so as we move along in chapter 6, God gives specific instructions for Noah about the ark and the animals and all of that. But we're not finished yet looking at Noah's godliness because his response to God's initial instructions are very, 
very helpful for us. And you know what that fifth spiritual quality that Noah had, which is tremendous, is he trusted God. Just mark that down and we'll get to it after we go through this section. Let's read verses 13 through 21. Then God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come upon me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them, and behold, I'm about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood, and you shall make the ark with rooms, and you shall cover it inside and out with pitch, and this is how you shall make it, the length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark and finish it to a cubit from the top and set the door of the ark in the side of it. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. And behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female of the birds after their kind and of the animals after their kind and of every creeping thing of the ground after its kind. Two of every kind shall come to you to keep them alive. And as for you, take for yourself some of all food, which is edible and gather it to yourself and it shall be for food for you and for them. In these verses, God reveals his plan to Noah. He's going to destroy the world, but not Noah and his family. Now, in order to save Noah and his family, God tells him to build an ark. I want to deal with this a little bit, and in weeks to come, we'll speak more about this. But some of us might have the impression that this is a ship. It's like a cruise liner. No, it's not. This was more like a barge. Think of a barge, a barge-like structure that's called an ark. It was not built for speed. It was built to just survive, to float. In fact, the Hebrew word for ark appears only one other time in the Bible, in Exodus, where it is the word used for the small basket that Moses was put in. Baby Moses was put in that small basket. That's the thought here, like a barge. It was made of gopher wood, which is probably cypress wood, divided into rooms. It was waterproofed, we're told, by covering it with pitch inside and out. And what about the size of it? The size was, and I'm basing this on a cubit being about 18 inches long. Some will say, and it depends, different cultures had different measurements for cubits. Some said it was about 17 and a half inches. So let's say about 17 and a half, 18 inches. The size was about 437 feet long. That's big. That's about one and a quarter times the length of a football field. That may help you. 73 feet wide and 44 feet high, and it had three decks. Now, this was huge. In fact, it wasn't until 1858 that a vessel of greater length was constructed. This was huge. Now, why was it so big? Because God's going to fill the ark not only with Noah and his family, but with animals and with food. And this was done to continue species. Now, they came in two by two, it says. But also, if you look at chapter 7, verse 2, it says, You shall take with you of every clean animal by sevens, a male and his female, and of the animals that are not clean, two, a male and his female. So in addition to two by two, apparently there were three pairs plus one extra. Uh, that one extra probably was for sacrificing later after they got on dry ground. Now, I just want to stop here for a moment because this has been criticized by scoffers who say, you know what, it's impossible. It's impossible that every animal came on that ark. Just impossible. Well, for one thing, we answer that by saying not every animal came on that ark, but every species 
of animals. In other words, let's just take dogs. You didn't have 200 different varieties of dogs. You had probably like a wolf-like thing. I mean, you didn't have dachshunds and pugs and poodles and things like that. You had like a wolf kind of thing. And in that species, you had all the gene pool for those later animals. But I want to read to you from Henry Morris, who is a scientist himself, and how he explains this. In fact, I'm reading a book now by John Whitcomb called The World That Perished, in which he's giving some not only biblical but scientific evidence for the validity of the scriptures. But listen to what Mr. Morris says. He says, in these verses are contained the instructions for the preservation of the animals in the ark. A male and a female of each kind were to be brought into the ark to keep them alive. The scope was quite comprehensive, two of every sort. God had a purpose for each created kind, so he intended that all the kinds be preserved through the flood. In addition to this general rule, seven animals of each clean kind, evidently those intended for use as domestic and sacrificial animals, were to be taken on board. Most land animals are small. He says they're small. So this did not by any means represent an impossible task. Authorities on biological taxonomy estimate that there are less than 18,000 species of mammals, birds, reptiles, and amphibians living in the world today. This number might be doubled to allow for known extinct land animals. And then he puts in parentheses, that is those known from actual fossil records, not the imaginary transitional forms that never existed except in the minds of evolutionists. Allowing, then, for two of each species, there might have to be a total of about 72,000 animals on the ark, say 75,000 to allow for the five extra animals in each clean species. Since, as we have already seen, and I haven't read it to you, but those who have read this book know that he has already explained this. Listen to this. Since we have already seen, the ark could have carried as many as 125,000 sheep. He's already proven that, and you can borrow the book if you want to verify that. And since the average size of land animals is surely less than that of sheep, it is obvious that no more than 60% of its capacity would have to be used for animals. Actually, it would have been less than this since the biblical kind is probably considerably broader than that of the arbitrary species category of modern biology. There were a few large animals, elephants, dinosaurs, giraffes, etc., to be carried on the ark, but many more small ones, mice, robins, lizards, frogs, etc. Even the large animals were probably represented by young, therefore small individuals, since they had to spend a year in the ark without reproductive activity and then go out to repopulate the earth. And he goes on and on to say about some other things concerning that. So I just want you to see that this is not an impossible situation. This is very, very credible. Not to mention all the insects that would have been just tiny on there. Someone said, why didn't Noah just swat the two flies coming in before (laughs) pester us? But I don't know. God has a purpose in that, to build our character while we're eating. They just hang around. Now, the point that I want you to see is really found in verse 22. It's Noah's response to this. What God told him was incredible, just incredible. He's hearing this for the first time, and here's his response. Thus Noah did, according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. What an incredible response of faith and obedience. Noah trusted God. Remember, Noah's never seen rain. It says in Genesis 2, 6 that a mist used to rise from the surface of the earth and water the ground. A mist would water it. Noah's never seen rain. It wasn't just rain, by the way. It was the floodgates underneath the earth that broke open too. And probably there was a huge canopy over the earth. So it wasn't just like uh, we had rain the last few weeks. It wasn't like El Nino, just some rain clouds. We're talking about the floodgates from the bottom and everything opened up. Everything broke loose. And yet Noah did what God said. Why? Well, would you look at Hebrews chapter 11? We've saved this 
to the end because this is where it comes in. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. Listen to this. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, God warned him about what he never had seen. In reverence, he prepared an ark for the salvation of his household by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Noah was already a believer in the true God, and therefore he exercised faith and trust when God told him to do something. Faith in God's word, even though he had not experienced anything like this. You want to be like Noah? You want to stand alone? You want to be distinct? You want to be a godly individual in an ungodly age, and you have to be willing to obey God, take him at his word, and trust him, regardless of what others think. And that's how it is in our world. Do you realize that people scoff at us just like they must have scoffed at Noah? They scoff at us for believing in a Christ that we've never seen. I've never seen him, never heard his voice, don't know exactly what he looked like. And yet we believe that Jesus is coming back for 2,000 years. The church has believed that. And Second Peter chapter 3 says they scoff at us, they mock us, they think we're fools. And yet I remind you that Second Peter compares it to Noah and the flood. Noah must have been thought of as Nutty Noah, I said before. I probably have some other names for him. This guy's lost it. He's building an ocean liner on dry ground. And we're believing that Jesus is coming back from heaven to take us there. You know what? Just as Noah exercised faith in God's word, even though nobody else understood, nobody else believed, we need to do the same thing. In fact, it says in Matthew 24, Jesus said that before he comes... Those days will be just like the days of Noah. They're eating, they're drinking, they're giving in marriage, they're getting married. And what was Jesus saying? I don't think there he was talking about the wickedness of the age. I think there he was saying it was life as usual. Nobody listened to Noah, though he was warning them and preaching to them. Nobody cared. They cared more about, let's say, their daughter's wedding coming up than the fact that God says, I'm going to destroy the earth and you need to repent. And nobody did. But in spite of these obstacles, Noah believed God's word, and I exhort you to do that, and he obeyed the Lord. Trust and obey. There is no other way. That's how we're to be. It means that we stand alone when nobody else stands with us. Same today. What made Noah different and distinct from his world is that he trusted God, and that's what will make you distinct. Even when you don't understand Even when you can't figure out what God is doing, it was someone who said, when we cannot see the hand of God, we can trust the heart of God. Trust God's heart, even if you don't understand what he's doing in your life. I want you to know that every great man and woman, young person of God, has stood alone at one time or another in their lives. Charles Spurgeon is looked upon today as the prince of preachers. Charles Spurgeon is admired probably greater than anybody in the last few hundred years in Christian circles. If you don't know about Charles Spurgeon, you're missing out on something. Charles Spurgeon was a preacher in London in the 1800s, one of the great, great men of God. But I don't know if you realize that Charles Spurgeon, when he started preaching in 1855, was the most criticized, ridiculed man of his generation. Did you know that? Spurgeon is esteemed today, but not then. He was criticized for so many things. His critics said that he was preaching an outdated gospel. They said it's old-fashioned. They said that his popularity, and he was popular, they said that his popularity was like a rocket. You know, it's going to shoot up very quickly, and then he's going to go down fast. 
Spurgeon hung in there, though, saying that although he stood alone, he stood on the word of God and he would not change and he could not be shaken. He said that he was willing to be called a dog now, knowing that in 50 years he would be vindicated, while those who had reputations now in his time would be discredited. Well, you know, it's about 100 years later, a little over 100 years, and you know what? He was right. Those who read theology and study the great men of the past think highly of Spurgeon. In fact, I can't think of anybody who is more esteemed amongst theologians than Charles Spurgeon. You know what? Can you remember one name of his critic? There are many critics. I can't think of one critic today. Nobody thinks of them, but everybody thinks of Spurgeon. Spurgeon stood alone. And if you want to be like a Spurgeon, like a Noah, you're going to have to stand alone. If you want to stand alone, it helps to have a godly heritage. Not always necessary, but helps to. It is necessary to have righteous behavior springing out of a righteous heart that's been transformed. Blamelessness, your integrity and reputation and testimony have to be blameless. Fellowship with God, meet with him on a regular basis, know what it is to stand alone with God, and then trust him. Trust him. Trust his word and obey, even if nobody else follows you. Let's bow for prayer. And as we're silent before the Lord, It's wonderful to hear the word of God, but unless you respond to the word of God, it doesn't mean anything. James says, be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. So right now I'm encouraging you, urging you, in the words of the Apostle Paul, I'm beseeching you to be a doer of the word. What do you need to get straightened out? Are you living like you should? Is there something in your life that's messing up your testimony? Maybe no one else knows. Maybe it's not your testimony. Maybe it's just wrong and you need to get that straightened out, to have righteous behavior. What about your fellowship with God? Can you discipline yourself and commit in God's strength? I'm not asking you to do a fleshly thing. It's not fleshly, by the way, to ever spend time in the Word and prayer. But by God's strength, will you commit yourself to take in the Word of God each day? You don't have to spend an hour, just a little bit each day, and think about it and practice it and spend time in prayer. What about trusting God? Is God doing something in your life now? Maybe you're going through a difficult time. Maybe it's a financial crisis. Maybe it's a family difficulty. Maybe some rough things at work. Maybe some rough things in your ministry. Can you trust God? Can you trust him? The psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 114 said, Thou art my hiding place. Thou art my shield. I wait for thy word. Is that your attitude? God, I trust you. I hide behind you in your word, and I wait upon you for your promise. Before I close in prayer, I just want to invite those who have never accepted Christ. If you don't know what righteousness is about, you know that you're guilty. You're a guilty sinner before a holy God. I invite you to speak to someone after the service. Just come up to the front. There'll be one of our leaders waiting to speak to you, take you into a quiet place and explain the way of salvation to you so you could be a saved individual, saved for all of eternity. Father, I thank you for the shining example of Noah. Lord, I can't imagine how difficult it must have been to be the only righteous man on the face of this planet. Lord, it's hard enough for us. We feel alone when we've got so many brothers and sisters around us, and sometimes we feel alone. How hard it must have been for Noah. And I thank you for his example in Scripture. And I pray for each of us, Lord. I pray for myself. There might be righteous behavior that would come from us a blameless, spotless testimony. Help us to really esteem a good name better than anything else. Help us, Lord, to also walk with you in fellowship, 
I pray for each one here that if they're not spending time in the Word and prayer, that they will. I pray that they'll sense how shameful it is not to take in the Word, so shameful not to stand with you, stand alone with you, that you would like an audience with them and they're just too busy. And I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to trust you. No matter how ridiculous your word might appear to our senses, but to trust you even as Noah did. And never having experienced rain or flood, being under uh, very wonderful conditions, at least more wonderful than the flood, even though it was a hard world. Lord, I thank you that he trusted you. And I know that the grace is available for us to trust you as we go through difficulties as well. Pray that you'll draw to yourself those who need Christ. Pray that you'll apply these truths to our lives individually where they need to be applied. In Jesus' name, amen. There are some interesting parallels between the world of Noah's day and the world today. Pastor Steve asked us a series of questions as we were coming to the end of today's program. How did you respond to those questions? They were, do you want to be like Noah? Do you want to stand alone? Do you want to be distinct? Do you want to be a godly individual in an ungodly age? And then he went on to say, then you have to be willing to obey God, take him at his word and trust him regardless of what others think. Now that may sound easy, but we need to determine on a daily basis that we are going to obey God no matter what others think. Now, if you would like to go back and listen to any of our past episodes, please go to versebyverseradio.org and click on the Archives tab. I hope you can join us next time for Verse by Verse. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.